Welcome to The V Show, episode three, all about Kim L. Hunt. And I'm your host, Hannah Vitti. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited about this episode. Number three, all about Kim L. Hunt. It's my first published feature-length interview, and it was a wonderful experience to get to know the recent Chicago LGBT Hall of Fame inductee. Kim is an activist, urban planner, startup enthusiast, and lifelong learner. She has an impressive 30-year career that's been focused on building and strengthening diverse communities throughout Chicago. She spent undergrad at Iowa Journalism and Communications and received a master's from UIC Urban Planning and another master's from the University of Chicago in Public Policy. She's the current executive director of Pride Action Tank, a new results-driven group that addresses challenges facing individuals and groups within LGBTQ communities through a collaborative process of inquiry, advocacy, and action. She's the former executive director of an organization close to my heart, Affinity Community Services, a 20-year-old Chicago social justice org that works with and on behalf of black LGBTQ communities, queer youth, and allies in the areas of civic engagement, health and wellness, and leadership development. Before Hunt came to Affinity, she owned a community development and management consulting firm and worked for the third largest public transportation agency in the U.S. That's right, the CTA. She's co-host of Outspoken, an LGBTQ storytelling group. She's a political columnist and a member of several civic boards and advisory councils. She's won a number of awards, including, but certainly not limited to, Illinois Safe Schools Alliance Advocate of the Year and Civic Engagement, Community Service, and Community Organizing Award from UIC Gender and Women's Studies Program. She's also a loving wife and mother. She's incredibly kind and humorous and much too humble. I met with her in her cute condo in Hyde Park one afternoon last month. And without further ado, here's the powerful Kim L. Hunt. The idea was kind of I wanted this to be twofold. Mm-hmm. I was really interested. I've always been really interested in history, mm-hmm. um, spe- specifically like queer history, and kind of just thought that there wasn't that much out there. Or if it was, it really seemed like it was just stories of struggle. It was just mm-hmm. like the AIDS epidemic happened or Stonewall happened, and yes, they were awesome. But but what about like the actual full rich lives of these people, not just these like stories of everything was miserable. Um, yeah. And so that kind of, um, as I started to get into the community, I was really young and like had fake IDs and would lie and go and meet these (laughs) characters and just kind of become fascinated and want to learn more about them. So that was part of the project. And then it just kind of coincided with, I went to school and studied peace and conflict studies Uh and gender studies and then got really into radio and media. And um, so I kind of wanted to turn all these things into a project of like activism and social justice as well. So how do I get these really interesting people to kind of tell me their stories and then kind of say like, how do we work under this administration? How do we, mm. how do we do this? I don't mm-hmm. know anything about organizing. I'm mm-hmm. 23, but it's mm-hmm. what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so might as well ask these people that I can <laughs> in this crazy community about their lives and what they've done. So that's kind of at the heart of okay. my project. <laughs> so how did you kind of get involved in this activism, NGO, you know, kind of leadership hmm. world? <laughs> well, I, I, 
guess formally um, as part of the the efforts to bring the gay games to Chicago mm-hmm. uh, that started back in the late 90s and uh, the the focus was uh, the games for 2006 mm-hmm. and I was actually newly out and working at Chicago Transit, Transit Authority where uh, many of the folks in my planning department mm-hmm. were gay men and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and you were there for like 14 years yeah you were it was there for a long time. it was a while longer than I had planned to be that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> but one of my friends asked me to come to a meeting with him and and then to help him work on um, like transportation and logistics for the gay games because the committee was putting a uh, proposal together okay. uh, because you actually have to present to the Federation of Gay Games and there are a bunch of hoops you have to jump through and you have to eventually present your proposal if you are your group is selected mm-hmm. to, to go to that phase so um, I think maybe shortly before we were selected I was on that committee and it introduced me to a lot of other people who were much more involved in activism in the LGBTQ community. And one of those people was Tracy Bay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but because I, I was... All roads lead to Tracy. All roads lead to Tracy. Yes, like, yes, yes, yes. That is, so <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. Right. Um, and <laughs> yes, it's hilarious. You cannot go anywhere. No, you really can't. <laughs> but because I was new to being out, I had no sense of who these folks were. I just knew they were working on the committee with me. It was only later that I knew I was in a group of folks who had done so much and were continuing to to work really hard in the community. And I don't think many of them would see what they did necessarily as activism. Mm -hmm. They were just clearly trying to make things better in the community um, because it impacted them. Uh, so that was the first kind of foray. Eventually, I began to work with nonprofits in general just through my consulting mm-hmm. work and um, uh, was on the board of Affinity Community Services for a few years before I became executive director there. Which is an organization I've been really impressed with. And do you, would you mind speaking a little bit more to the mission and kind of how that started and, and what's going on with that now? Yeah, I used to talk about this every day, several times a day. <laughs> so you have your so, spiel. It's <laughs> probably not as, as current as it used to be because there's a new, wonderful mm-hmm. executive director there She's now. She's amazing. She really is. When we can get a hold of her, yes, right? Yes, we will. She's busy. She's busy. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Right, right, right. I just saw her yesterday, and I'll actually see her later today. Fabulous. Um, but Affinity was founded more than 20 years ago now. And it was um, brought together really to bring visibility to black people in the LGBTQ community and LGBTQ people in the black community. Mm-hmm. And it started, I would say, out of frustration. There was, there's this event on the South Side called the Bud Billiken Parade, mm-hmm. which is a huge family-focused event that was started, gosh, probably about a hundred years ago. Wow. It's always like it's this deep in tradition. Deep, deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people come back to Chicago for this and whole families line wow. up. It it happens um along King Drive. 
uh, between like 35th and where Washington okay. Park starts. Okay, I know where that is. So about 51st Street. And uh, there was a group of out LGBTQ, black LGBTQ folks who said, you know, we're tired of going to Boys Town. When, I don't even think they called it Boys Town then. Maybe they did. Um, but when we want to do something that's queer, we want to be in our own, in our own space, space where we feel comfortable our own neighborhood. Well, not necessarily. Relatively, <laughs> but safer than having to transform yeah, all the way to Lakeview. And black folks had to go through some stuff to get yeah, in the bars right. at Lake, in Lakeview. Um, Still do. Multiple IDs. <laughs> and it's not as blatant now, right. but it was, like, really bad. And women going into men's bars, that was just really, really tough to do. Um, so uh, they decided, let's march in the Bud Billiken Parade as an out group. But because one of at least one of their members had a very social justice focus, she said, "Let's submit two applications. One of them will be um, typewritten because <laughs> we had typewriters back then, right. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, answer every single question very thoroughly, identify the group as an LGBTQ group or whatever the term would have been then." And they had it mailed or sent by certified mail uh, before the deadline. Uh, and then they had a second application that was handwritten in pencil, uh, misspellings, uh, did not identify the group as LGBTQ. I think someone said they even crumpled it up and stomped on it, it a couple of times. Really so it looked crappy. <laughs> <laughs> and then they mailed it on the deadline. Oh. So the application that that was the application that was accepted. Are you kidding? <laughs> Are you kidding? And <sighs> what happened over the next several weeks uh, was that uh, the Chicago Commission on Human Relations and what was then a brand new Midwest regional office for Lambda Legal mm -hmm. mediated with the um, Defender, uh, Chicago Defender Foundation, which was the organization that put on the parade. Mm -hmm. And they got to march and they oh. did receive threats, death threats. Um, so you know they so the stakes were high. <laughs> the stakes were high. I mean, they weren't. There weren't a lot of them. And the defender said that they denied that application because they were afraid for their safety. Mm -hmm. Folks don't necessarily believe that was true, true but um, I was told that they did receive a few death threats. So they trained some um, uh, safety marshals to walk with them along the route, and it became a bigger community effort even outside of the black LGBTQ community. And they marched and there were a few hecklers apparently, but it was mostly people were very welcoming. People were coming out to them along the route. Um, folks would walk up to them and say, my son is gay or my daughter is a lesbian or whatever. So it grew, it became bigger. Yeah, well, yes not no. right away, <laughs> not right away. Okay. It, Became, they did it again the following year, and at some point they decided let's have something ongoing mm -hmm. um, that is on the south side and can um, 
you know, look at what's happening in black LGBTQ community and spaces, create spaces, mm -hmm. and uh, see what people are interested in. And what I was told is that there were men at the table uh, in the early stages, but when that part of the work came along, it, except for one or two, they kind of disappeared. So affinity yeah. became largely uh, women's focused organization right. for many years. And you know, over the years, they did things like um, health uh, fairs and uh, even a little bit of research mm -hmm. around uh, health disparities in black queer women. Uh, they did uh, economic justice activities. They had lots of support groups mm -hmm. for different uh, demographics within the community and uh, operated as a volunteer organization for most of its history. The board did a lot mm -hmm. of stuff along with some really dedicated volunteers. And in, I think it was 2008 or 2009, I was hired as the first executive director. That's impressive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, it's impressive that the organization was able to stick around that long and get to the point Sustain. to make that change because right. a lot of organizations that were founded around the same time are gone or had an issue kind of yeah it's hard to keep it all together it when the, when you have to everybody has to pitch in like that so it's still here I'm extremely proud to have been a part of it still support that organization in any way that I can and am very happy that not only did they have one executive director in their history, they now have another one. Second. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so they're still still going. It's still going strong. Mm -hmm. um, if people want to learn more, they can go on the website. Yeah, it's affinity95, the number 95.org. Uh, Perfect. And, and I know there's a campaign going on 100 or 10K in 100 mm -hmm, days. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to work with a couple different parties coming up to support. But um, excellent. Yeah, everything I've learned when I got to meet Amani, you both spoke at that event at the church. Oh, um, yeah. That's where I met. That's where right. I first heard of everything, and I was mm -hmm. like, "This is something I need to learn mm -hmm. more about." I was very taken. Um, and I think it's important for the story to kind of understand that it came out of frustration and lack of space yeah. not you know it really yeah. was created because there, there wasn't people weren't you know putting for sure. that seriously for sure um so then from affinity you moved to pride action tank or aid chicago or how did that pride action tank yeah, yeah can you speak a little bit i think that the mission behind that is something that really interests me um mm -hmm. the idea of inquiry and actually breaking down and results driven trying to work on tackling that problem from research and yeah, you can speak to that. shows how wacky we are trying <laughs> to solve these big issues or address them in some way. So uh, everything has a story, right? So <laughs> Pride Action Tank's roots are in the fight for marriage equality in mm -hmm. Illinois. Um, marriage, uh, the fight for marriage at first was more of a one or two organizations mm -hmm one or two funders, mostly one, and not a lot of community involvement, and not a lot of messaging around why the community should be involved. Right. But when uh, the legislation could not be brought to the floor for a vote initially because the votes weren't there to pass <laughs> it, uh, and uh, folks regrouped and created this really, um, 
deep field uh, organizing effort that really focused on pulling in more organizations and allies and individuals mm -hmm. and um, really ha had this groundswell of momentum around it. And as that fight was wrapping up, uh, after the bill was signed here in Illinois, there was a desire among some of the folks who worked on marriage to bring some of that momentum to something, to something else, to, the, next to, the, to other stuff right. that could be uh, community-driven like marriage became, because mm -hmm. it didn't start out that way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think because marriage took a lot out of organizations, um, and in some cases, People's resources, mentally, yeah, physically, people's everything. capacity. Some of these organizations were teeny tiny, like sure. Affinity. You know, we had one full-time staff person, so working on marriage meant not working on some Something other stuff. Else. So people, you know, kind of kept that in the back of their minds to want to have something that continued things, but really needed to get back to some of their other work. Well, because I've even, you know, to segue a little bit, I growing, so I took women's studies courses in college, and I think I was kind of at this generational time where things are becoming queerer, and we're kind of forcing ourselves to kind of question these boundaries, so something like the fight for marriage to mm -hmm. some folk is kind of like, is this really for certain communities where mm -hmm. the bulk of our resources mm -hmm. need to be going? And I would almost wonder, as someone who worked... Um, for communities of color so much or where mental health or physical health or you know poverty and food might mm -hmm. be something that's more of an issue if yeah. how you kind of work on something like marriage which is no doubt an important right yeah but something yeah. that you know yeah so they're all important issues right right and um marriage the way it was initially rolled out if you will because <laughs> it really wasn't as organized as people think it is. It's a state-by-state state fight for most of its right, history. Right, the tea, Right, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, you know, when you look back on things with hindsight, you forget all the blemishes and all of that stuff, and That's people outside of the community back. don't really know to, to look a little deeper. Um, but marriage was, for, many, for a long time, and in some communities this never changed, mm -hmm. looked at as white gay men's uh, desire to be accepted mm -hmm. by a broader society. And there's probably some truth to that for some people. Um, the truth is the way our laws are set up in this country, which is mm -hmm. biased towards marriage. The folks who benefited the most from marriage were uh, women of color raising children. Mm -hmm. And black and Latino women who were lesbian are, um, you know, 41% of them have kids under 18 living at home, 41%. For white gay number. men, it's 10%. Right. <laughs> so it's not even apples and oranges. It's not, it's not, but that's not the, those aren't the images that because we saw. Because you see the weddings and you see the photos, you don't see the families that are now able to afford certain things or have privilege and right. access to certain things they Exactly, exactly. And some, there was, were some efforts. So I will say here in Illinois, uh, folks really began to learn their lessons around uh, doing it the other way. 
and and tried really hard to bring those other images in. Mm-hmm. The challenge, though, is that because of history, grudges, things that were not done well in the past, it takes building trust yes. across communities, and so that was uh, that had to happen too. Um, and so Affinity was able to get its folks more engaged when we began to look at the real data around who gets benefited and what that means in terms of their uh, economic wherewithal. Because then it gives you a seat at the table, you know. It yeah. Important yeah. Relevant. Yeah. Um, so you tried to figure out how you could bring the mm-hmm. same momentum back to other projects mm-hmm. after kind of marriage had been... Well, we thought. We yeah. Said, we yeah. Yeah, really. We'll see what happens right. now. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> One step forward. I'm like, I three better get married back. now. Let me find my <laughs> No, no way. Um, There's no rush on no, these no, things. No, no, believe me. Yeah. So, um, actually, one of the. What Tracy did next, uh, to her credit, and, and she asked, asked me to be involved was she, uh, the two of us began organizing this summit on LGBTQ youth homelessness, probably announced that about six months after the marriage bill was signed. Mm-hmm. So we pivoted to, to this. Six months is pretty close. Yeah. That's pretty back to yeah. back. Like. Yes, and it was a big effort. And it was, um, it was what I would say the, the birth of the Pride Action Tank model. Mm-hmm. Um, it was... Um, uh, very good about centering the voices of youth who were experiencing homelessness uh, a full day with them and it was about brainstorming it was about acknowledging where people are now and what they need and also how do we move to solutions and to have that start with young people was unique in many ways because a lot of times, you know, policymakers and service providers mm-hmm. and those folks who are well intentioned. They're so far up the ground, they don't actually. <laughs> well, but some of them are actually working directly okay. with young people, okay. but they are not living that life. Right. So, you know. Listening you is can a little be, bit different than living. Yeah, and, and listening one on one is different than systems change. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they were doing what they were hired to do in most cases, but not having the space to bring, um, to discuss it together and to bring their creativity to it. So first day was young people. Second day was any young person who wanted to return, but also was really focused on the service providers, the researchers, the agency heads, the mm-hmm. funders, the elected officials, other people who touch the issue, but don't necessarily live the issue. Mm-hmm. But everybody needs to be at the table when it mm-hmm. comes to solving uh, big issues like this. And out of that came um, just a very rich, well-informed set of projects, uh, one of which got funded even before we walked out the door. Like, <laughs> yeah, because again, having all the people at the table, uh, folks who are making decisions, folks who are funding, folks who are living it, um, that helps to um, create something that can actually, when it's implemented, 
makes sense. Work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's imp implemented uh, correctly and sure. provided with enough sure. resources. So we had a storage project before we turned off the lights, you know? And, and there have been other things like that. And then, of course, we had this set of things that needed to be uh, somewhere where they were taking, mm -hmm. where they were happening. Mm -hmm. And um, that came along um, about a year after the uh, that summit we began to talk about okay now let's do this thing that we talked about right after like, let's marriage let's make yeah. it happen one we got all these projects that we need to action but we also have other issues that need to be addressed in this way very community focused collaborative centering the voices of people who are impacted by the issue so um uh, started discussions with a lot of uh, folks in the LGBTQ community and began to talk to funders and um, birthed the Pride Action Tank and things were set up uh, in time for me to just slide over from affinity to this because I had announced uh, to our board and our funders probably a year and a half before that I would be leaving. Okay. And then uh, we announced it to our constituents at our big 20th anniversary party. So it's kind of perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so it worked out. To yeah, exactly. You got to put them out there right. in the universe and actually work towards them, but um, yeah, so that's that's how that's that happened. <laughs> and so, where are you now? That was how many years ago? Oh, that was, that was in October that was of 2015. Okay. <laughs> that, was, that was like very recent. Very recent. <laughs> and um, I mean, I've stayed in the loop. I get emails. I see you guys doing projects all the mm -hmm. time. There's um, something coming up next two weekends from now. Yeah, right? that's the sleep in. So, this will be the right. second time we've done something mm -hmm. like this. We had a sleep out mm -hmm. in November of 2015, a month mm -hmm. after Pride Action Tank started. <laughs> Fortunately, Tracy had already been working on it. <laughs> um, that Tracy. That Tracy, I don't, <laughs> she does not sleep. Um, so the it's focused on bringing awareness to youth homelessness and raising money for organizations that serve youth who are experiencing homelessness. So when we did this in 2015, we actually slept outside mm -hmm. at, um, what was it, Montrose and the Lake Okay. in November. First <laughs> snow of the season. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. What, 400 people oh, showed up gosh. for the program. That's a great turnout. About 200 slept out. Yeah. And we raised uh, $44,000 for 18 organizations. And that was the first event a month after you That began. was the first event. <laughs> so you set the bar high for yourselves. You did that to yourselves. <laughs> well, I know, right? <laughs> and, That's amazing. And, That's amazing. You know, I hadn't worked with Tracy other than the, the Youth Summit. I hadn't worked with Tracy for a little while, but she's just a dynamo. She is. So she kept it going. But this one is indoors. It's at a church at uh, Cullerton in Michigan, mm -hmm. and it's happening February 24th. Um, <coughs> it's indoors because it really saves us a lot of money to bring it indoors. Mm -hmm. uh, we've cut the cost of it in half, so that means we can um, 
put more money back into (laughs) organizations. So we're hoping to raise $50,000 this year, and we have 13 beneficiaries. Fabulous. And I saw that there was an email you could uh, respond to if you wanted to help volunteer. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, if if you have questions, if you want to volunteer, um, you can go to Pride Action Tank at AIDS. Chicago.org, mm-hmm. uh, and the the um, website for the sleep in is sleepinchicago.org. Perfect. And I'll put those on the website okay. when I release the podcast and all of that. Um, so that kind of leads me to something. So Tracy is a white woman. I'm a white woman. <laughs> There's all sorts of white women in this community, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. that's a project that I've been kind of working on: is how do we really understand allyship, and how mm-hmm. do we as well-intentioned white mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. actually do what we need to do, the tools, and understand what it really means to be an ally. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about allyship in the past for you and kind of what are um, relationships that work and what are ones mm-hmm. that don't? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's a great question, especially as we enter a time where it's super, super, super important um, that we work across identities. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that you have to understand everything, all the history <laughs> about, <laughs> about uh, the, exactly, because you can't. And um, it, I think it requires a selflessness that is sometimes hard to achieve because a lot of times we make things about ourselves. And uh, if you're going to be an ally to someone and work in allyship with someone, it can't be about you. There's there's work that you have to do separate from that event. <laughs> right, that's some internal Yeah, and even yes, through relationships yeah. and books and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think developing one-on-one relationships where you can with folks who are part of that community that you want to be an ally to. So I've seen instances, and this isn't just about white women, it's about other folks too who are want to work with folks who they don't fully know necessarily. Mm-hmm. And when I say folks, not necessarily individuals, but groups of people. You know, I've seen the wildest questions come up in what are really public spaces and just very inappropriate questions mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. folks. So, like, that's homework you should have done right. before you walked in this room. Right. <laughs> and those are not questions no, that you ask. This is not in this appropriate. Space. It's not appropriate. This space is not coded and or this, safe for that. Kind and of this stuff. is not for your learning pleasure. <laughs> right. <laughs> this right. part of it. Is, this this is the work. You're when you're learning. You know, talk to folks one on one and outside of the workspaces. But not everyone is going to be that person in your life. And you cannot assume that every space is the space to do that work. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And Google is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. <laughs> like about my generation, we don't really have the excuse of like not access to information. We have it at our yeah, fingertips. Yeah. Um, and I think the other big part of that is just listening and observing instead of doing uh uh, many of us are uncomfortable with silence, and we're uncomfortable with just sitting and watching, and and letting that be part of our our doing and learning, um, instead of coming in with I have all the answers and all the ideas and this is what you should do and mm-hmm. da 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 da. 
watch the dynamics in the room. Well, that probably is something that speaks to kind of what you're doing at Pride Action Tank or mm -hmm. when you're working with the actual folks that it's most pertinent yeah. to. Um, I, I studied conflict in school and we would read all of these well-intentioned people that would come into these countries and, you know, South Africa or come into these places and have these great ideas, but they didn't work for the people because they mm -hmm. never asked the people. Asked the people, exactly. <laughs> and you it's know? amazing how often that happens. Right. And yeah, you know, and sometimes because we go to school for these things, we we think we can just tell people what to do. But there's all kinds and of schools in life. There's all <laughs> kinds of schools and there, and there are reasons for not doing some things mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Neither of my parents went to college, and I think it gave me such an appreciation for that kind of epistemology. Mm -hmm. Like, that knowledge is just as important mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. book knowledge. Yes, you know? it really is. Um, but I also think that there are some texts, especially if you want to work and be an ally, that are kind of important to read, like mm -hmm. unpacking the invisible knapsack or doing some of those basic texts. Like, mm -hmm. if you want to do this, yeah. come correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And know. know that you're going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, develop a thick skin. <laughs> right. I mean, I've had that, that thing before. I think there was, like, the first time I was, like, a freshman in women's studies class and a woman of color said something like, you know what, after class, she was perfect about it. She just mm -hmm. was like, that wasn't really totally right how you said that. And I remember mm -hmm. being kind of, my first reaction was to be like, uh, 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 and then I was yeah. like, thank you. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Just like, it doesn't mean I was a bad person. No, it doesn't mean she exactly. hated me. It just meant exactly. that was the comment that needed to be talked yeah. about. You know? Yeah, we got it. We have to have more of those kinds of conversations. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so in doing that kind of work, working with white gay men, you know, in marriage equality and kind of these things, how have, <laughs> not to put, you know, I don't want you to share anything. No, it's fine. With, it's but fine. But how have you kind of, you know, have you yeah. had those experiences? Oh, gosh, yes. Many times. <laughs> Many times. So when I was executive director at Affinity, I was um, the only paid executive director of an LGBTQ organization in Chicago that was female. <laughs> oh. Let alone of color. <laughs> right. oh so, yes, I had that all the time. And uh, it's so funny when when the marriage bill was not called to the, the floor, the years of running together, what was that spring session of 2013, mm -hmm. um, after, you know, Everybody had been told we have the votes. This is going to happen. It didn't even. <laughs> even in a meeting at the Chicago Urban League, like two days before the vote, this is what we were told. Um, you were told it was good to go. It was good to go. <laughs> and and again, at that time, other community organizations weren't asked to do anything or asked to be part of this coalition that just listed our names, but but not to do anything. And so. Um, the morning after, fairly early, uh, my good friend, Jim Bennett from Lambda Legal, mm -hmm. called me. It's like, we no really, way. we really messed up. <laughs> oh, my yeah, and I had written this um, piece from <laughs> Affinity saying, you know, Let's do this right next time. Let's bring in other organizations. Let's make this more of a community thing. I mean, I'm not the only one who said this, but um, yeah, and the day after, uh, and Jim tells, tells me now, I was the first person he called. 
Because one of his concerns was that this would become a racial thing, Mm -hmm. that um, folks would blame, like, members of the uh, Black Caucus for not voting uh, on on the bill or not declaring Mm -hmm. their votes, and Mm -hmm. just like with Prop 8, right? Sure, sure. Um, And, you know, other issues where, you know, just community wasn't involved. Uh, And I... Uh, adore him for that because he just without hesitation just acknowledged yeah yeah. but and you know I've had other uh, situations where I've had to remind folks that um, there's a broader community and (laughs) that's a nice way of saying yeah you know and sometimes it's not even just it's not even individuals that I'm referring to, but other organizations mm-hmm. that don't have the resources to even come to a meeting during the day downtown because all the people working for their organization are volunteer board members right. and they have day jobs. So even just changing meeting times and those sorts Something of things. Something simple like that, right? Yeah. So. I've definitely had those situations, and my uh, background is in transportation planning, mm-hmm. which is a very white male dominated Urban space. Planning, yeah, I saw <laughs> my best friends in the program. So. Well, I was in Iowa. Oh, yeah. No, Iowa, uh, no I'm sorry. Iowa um, Communication. UIC. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh UIC. you did look. <laughs> you did look. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, and, and I will continue to have them, but I had a really wonderful experience. Just yesterday, I was at um, Congressman Quigley's uh, LGBT breakfast. And uh, in the past, I would have been, I don't want to say the only black woman, but close to the only black woman in that that space. And there were, I think, uh, five or six of us. Wow. That must have pretty encouraging. That was wonderful. Many of us were at the same table together because we couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But seeing more uh, black, queer, and trans women move into these leadership roles, and some of them, I mean, they weren't all from the nonprofit world. Some of them were from um, city agencies mm-hmm. or other government entities, but they, you know, have um, positions of responsibility, Mm -hmm. and they're out, and they're doing community work, and it was really, really cool Well, I think it probably speaks to you, because you have to have you in there first. Like, you you need to have people that help you understand that it's possible. I think that's important. Yeah, but I'm not the first. I mean, there have been others. Sure. But I think, yeah, having these opportunities come, and then, you know, knowing more people mm-hmm. casting a wider net. I think that mm-hmm. it's all it's all helpful. It is yeah. all helpful. Yeah. It is all helpful. Um, and I saw that you do like a lot of mentorship work as well, mm-hmm. um, which I kind of think speaks to that whole point. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how do you understand mentorship and how do you see yourself mm. as? Um, yeah. Because I think that's just like um, the intersectionality and in, race and gender, I think also generational is going to be very important yeah. to our project right now. Absolutely. Because um, there's a lot of us, 
the schools and the youth, you know, in every generation, there's a lot of power and passion and a lot of movements are mm -hmm. led there. But I think mm -hmm. the social media generation is changing things in a way mm -hmm. that can be awesome, but it's also, we lack the physical organizing skills. I think some of the generation before of us has done really well. And so I'm always interested to learn how do we, how do we do that? What's, what is a mentor kind of, what's their advice to us? Well, I think, you know, don't assume that the generation before knew how to do it before they did it. <laughs> so true, true. there's that. I mean, there's a small number of people who are actually trained mm -hmm. to do this. Mm -hmm. um, others are... Um, Made. <laughs> yeah, trial by fire, right? Um, and, and I think in terms of training, there are probably more resources out there than there have ever been. Mm -hmm. But I think the part of leadership that gets lost is the stories of the how and that how to navigate those gray areas, how to make those decisions. Everything is can't be put on a spreadsheet or a, um, uh, a diagram. Some <laughs> of it really is about falling on your butt several mm -hmm. times and uh, continuing to try. I think where mentors can be helpful, and for me, I look at mentorship as a two-way street. I learn just as much from people that I mentor, whether that's in a formal program or a conversation. I think I learn just as much as, as, as I try to offer, which is what I find very exciting about mentorship. Um, in for my experiences, you know, folks are looking for different things. In a, it, it all comes back to the story of how I did stuff mm -hmm. uh, often and just sharing that and then, you know, allowing the questions to come and, and just talking through whatever it is that that person Having is trying to navigate. Board. Exactly, you know. exactly. And for most of my career, uh, especially when I was in urban planning, I don't think I really appreciated the value of a mentor and I was too probably self-absorbed and shy to even ask for a mentor because I didn't want to bother anyone mm -hmm. and I thought I had to to know it out all and have it all figured out before I talked to someone which is why I talk to them if you have it all figured <laughs> out uh, so so um even for me now, I have mentors myself, mm -hmm. uh, and some of them are older than me, and some of them are younger than mm -hmm. me. So, uh, I, I think I'm just at a point in my life that, uh, when it comes to being, to doing things and being active and giving back, I think the way that I want to do it is just to, to, to talk to people, mentor them in the in the ways that I can, and and also learn from yeah, them. Yeah, from them. Because I can't go to every protest. You can't. <laughs> you can't. You know, there's only just... so much that we all can do at the end yeah, of the day. Exactly. Um, and I think it's important to figure out the ways that are most, I don't know, matter most to you and the ways yeah. that are most impactful for you. And what I, I don't know, everyone has their own form of resistance. Absolutely, <laughs> and I will write a check to the Chicago Community Bond Fund to mm -hmm. get people out of jail, and I sure. highly recommend that to everyone. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> That's an organization to be supported. It is, it is. <laughs> um, so you were talking in the beginning of this interview a little bit about the time when you were coming out, mm -hmm. or can you speak a little bit about that? Mm. Where were you? How was that like? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I was older when I came out. Um, I... 
if I had known the words for it, I probably would have come out a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't come out until I was in my 30s, early 30s, and I was married with children. And it was really through, I think, just self-reflection, mm -hmm. journaling, which can be good and sometimes very revealing. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, I just began to connect some dots and think about, you know, folks who I liked in college and feelings from even before then mm -hmm. and um, and knew that I was a, a lesbian. Um, but like I said earlier, I wouldn't have necessarily even known. Concept. Yeah, I mean, and I don't want it to sound like I grew up like in like <laughs> on a farm or anything. Right. I just didn't know. Right. But just it just wasn't a word that I no, connected with. No, but I can with. totally re relate. I mean, and I came out much younger, right? So, mm -hmm. but I even I've had people ask me because I dated a guy for five all of high school, and I had people ask me like, "Did you know? When did you?" And I was like, "It wasn't even something that I even really understood I could be. I had right. never I had seen gay men together, mm -hmm. but I had never known two women together. Exactly. And since I, the time I was a child." Um, my whole family when you when you find your husband when you like, yeah even, exactly wasn't an option. exactly and so there was totally like babysitters and remember my best friend got her first boyfriend I was heartbroken like now it all uh -huh. makes sense uh -huh. right? yes yeah, sometimes you have to look just, back to connect the dots even, <laughs> I didn't even think in high school that that was a legitimate th choice <laughs> exactly exactly you know, but that's that um, heteronormativity play. yes <laughs> yes it is so ingrained it is so ingrained Mm -hmm. Yeah, so in in the in the course of, you know, the conversations with my husband at that time, we went to college together and he said he assumed that I was bisexual mm -hmm. cuz I had a good friend and she and I were later um lovers. Mm -hmm. It didn't last long <laughs> and it didn't need to. Right. Um, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> he just assumed that we dated before, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. when we were in college, but we hadn't. Um, but she was out in college. Um, so yeah, and, and um, you know, we I made, had to make a decision to either continue on with my life as it was, <laughs> or um, make some moves and hope for um, my family to come out whole on the other side. And I'm happy to say we did, uh, not without a little bit of struggle, sure. but my ex-husband and I made a conscious decision to take care of our kids because mm -hmm. they were our kids. Right. And um, even after we were divorced, you know, we'd go to parent-teacher things together, the the girls um, teachers didn't even know we were divorced for years and then one day I showed up with for the parent teacher conference when well by then they figured it out <laughs> but uh, my ex-husband got remarried he has a son now and mm -hmm. I came to his parent teacher conference once because his mom <laughs> couldn't come <laughs> <laughs> and it happened to be with a teacher who had my one of my daughters okay, so before. Like, huh, so like, <laughs> <laughs> but we celebrate holidays together. Yeah. Um, my our youngest daughter just graduated from college, so we don't have to talk to each other anymore. But 
Um, my spouse and I were at my ex-brother-in-law's house for <laughs> the Christmas dinner with the whole family. <laughs> and we've, this is just how we roll. Right. Yeah, yeah. Love, yeah. baby, that's, that's the answer. It. That's you it, know, that's it. That's the answer. It. And it's bigger than romantic love. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, I have a similar situation. My parents divorced when I was young, and it mm-hmm. hasn't always been easy, but they could write the book on how to make your child feel really loved yes. and appreciated. It's so important. Yeah, I didn't. I never witnessed awful, miserable, mean mm-hmm. fights, and mm-hmm. they always put me first, so I yeah. feel blessed. Yeah. Um, so are you, you're born and raised in Chicago or from no. Chicago? What's your story? I was uh, born and raised in Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. And I moved to Chicago in the mid-80s after uh, I graduated from college. My ex is from here. Mm-hmm. Um, and have called Chicago home ever since then. I really like Chicago. Me too. Even with all, <laughs> all of its crazy faults. I, know. I love this city. Um, although winter is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know we know the word. You know, it's yeah, it's, yeah. But <laughs> spring and summer and early fall, I'm like, yeah, this city is great. And we're in Hyde Park today. Have you always been over on this side of the city? Or I've always around? been south. Nice. Uh, but uh, my spouse and I moved to Hyde Park in 2001. So we've been here a while. You've been here for a minute. Yeah. In fact, uh, the first time I saw Hyde Park, I wanted to move here. <laughs> My ex-husband would drive me around the city uh, to see other parts when I first came here. And I remember going down, It's the street is called Midway Plaisance. It's where the Columbian Exposition was uh, part of it uh, in the, the, the Midway, the grass there. And we drove past the buildings at the University of Chicago, and I guess I have a thing for gothic mm, uh, architecture. architecture. I was like, what is that? Yeah, you don't forget that. Yeah. You don't forget that when you see that. There's something magical yeah. impressive. Yeah, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's that school, University of Chicago. Yeah, that little, little like school. That. Right, right. <laughs> and I thought to myself then, one, I'm going to live in this neighborhood at mm-hmm. some point, and two, I'm going to go to that school at mm-hmm. some point. And, and you I'm, did. Yeah, I mean, public policy. Public policy. You've done your research. My God, that is so freaky. <laughs> the internet. I'm telling you, the internet. The internet is the devil. Mm-hmm. But I use it every day. I think we all kind of feel that we way. Do. How do you sustain a career in this work when you're doing work that is so emotionally tied as mm-hmm. well? Um, mm-hmm. Activist burnout or just NGO burnout, like the internships I've had, like nonprofits, that kind of oh, yeah. management. It's a, it's. A, yeah. It's frustrating work sometimes. What are your totally? What are kind of your totally. tips? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't handle that well for much of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there were times um, uh, when I owned a business. So it's not just nonprofits, but when mm-hmm. I owned a business, there were times I was just fried. Uh, and then in the nonprofit world, there were times that I was fried because the work is so intense. When you own a business, the intensity is, this is your survival. Mm-hmm. You eat what you kill. 
And and if you have employees, right. like when you clock out, you don't clock out. Yeah, yeah. And then you got people depending on you and all of that, and that's a lot. Um, you you have some of that still in a nonprofit, especially if you're the, the leader of the nonprofit and you see what's coming in and going out, and so it's a constant like you're thinking about it, you're you're wearing it. It's always on your on your mind. When I um, decided to leave Affinity, as I mentioned, um, I announced leaving to a core group of folks over a year before I actually left. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was gonna do next. I, That's scary. It is very scary, but I knew how I wanted to feel. <laughs> and I knew that there were some things that I really wanted to try to put a check on that would make me not feel the way I wanted to right. feel. So um, I tend to, when I do things that I love, I go all in. Me too. <laughs> and so you give it all, right? And then there's nothing left for You're your family, yourself, <laughs> your dog. Um, and I never want to do that again. I mean, you can be committed, but not give it your all. And that's hard I think for activists to embrace mm -hmm. because you feel like if you aren't giving it your all or putting it all on the stage as they say then you aren't doing this well and you aren't authentic but now for me there are times when this has to be more of a nine-to-five job I can't do it beyond a certain point so whereas in the past I would go to an I would work all day, go to the, an event, come home, turn on a my laptop at ten o'clock at night, and start, and start emailing, emailing and, and doing all that. It's like no, and then boom, starting tomorrow. Yes, I can't do that. Now I still spend way too much time away from home, but a lot of what I do now that it's is off hours is more related to my volunteer work. Okay. Yeah. Uh, although some of that is so related to my work work that it's like, it's hey, like hey. A, just an extension of that. So sure. I have to think about that sure. uh, going forward. And what about time for hobbies? Like what are some other yeah, things you like so to do in your free time? Hobbies, that's, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I don't have hobbies per se. I... Are you uh, a reader? I'm a reader. Okay. I love music. What kind of music do you like? I like all kinds of music. All right, well, Mondays 8 to 10, 88.7, look at you. DJV, soul, You're funk, gospel. Everywhere. House. Okay, so send me a link. I will. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I have a coloring book. Oh, you, yeah, color. you know, yes. That really calms me down. Uh, I love Netflix and Hulu Plus. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and when it's warm, I like to walk. But and I know. think it's important to... Make time for those things. Yes. You know, even if yes, they might yes, seem yes. like Netflix is trivial, yes. it, it's, it's no, important. No, it's not. It's, it's not. Important. And I'm um, really coming to appreciate family and friends more. So uh, we try to do some something here with a, a big group of folks who we care for two, three times a year, sometimes more. Um, so Mary, uh, my spouse, took 
cooking lessons many, many years ago. And mm, sometimes she'll whip something up uh, and we'll invite people over or I'll make a big pot of chili and mm-hmm. folks will come over. We can't get them past this table, though. <laughs> no one wants to sit on the sofa. Like the <laughs> it's like you sit down here and then you just don't go. Well, yeah. <laughs> so you don't think you'd ever run for office? Oh, God, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. 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 All right. Well, you heard it here. No. no, 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 I wouldn't mind being in office, running for office. (laughs) If you want to get me there, I'll sit in some office. Exactly. Exactly. But I would, I would work for a candidate that I really believed in. Mm -hmm. I really want to see an out uh, black LGBT alderman in this city Mm -hmm. in my lifetime. I will say in the next. 10 years mm-hmm. I would love to see that mm-hmm. and I will if, if I believe in that person I am more than happy to work hard to Me make too. it happen yeah um, <laughs> and I guess my final thing is and you can do all of this work with a nose ring because they'll, they'll let you because I want to keep, keep my nose piercing in you know and I'm already getting stuff from people they say you have to wear the stud you have to wear you know, I didn't get my nose pierced until I was 40. That was my 40th really? birthday present to myself. So by this time, you had done it all. I was working for my, I had my own business. <laughs> so yeah, nobody could say anything. When I, when I do like, if I do some corporate interviews or if I make that move, I'll go in for the little stud. But I don't have any yeah. tattoos. I'm not looking for the most, but I love my little nose. Yeah. Hair. And it's, you know, piercings are just so not unusual anymore. And they don't, don't have think. to be. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, that's, you know, it's, folks who are running corporations and stuff now, they just need to retire. And then, <laughs> you know, other folks will, will come up and then right. where piercings will be normal. Well, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you so much for doing this with me. Oh, I'm glad it finally worked and, out. Yes, and hopefully we can connect again in the future soon. Oh, no doubt. I'll be around. I want to thank Kim Hunt for opening up her home and her life to me. As a young person, just embarking on her journey through the world of professional activism, There's just so much to take away from this conversation. As Kim shares, it's the stories of how that matter, that enrich and inform. Sitting down and answering my questions, sharing your stories of how, it matters to me and it speaks volumes. And that's my project with The V Show, to create a body of knowledge as diverse and fluid as the people who sit here and help me create it. So big thanks to you, Kim. You're a very inspirational Chicago mentor. New episodes of The V Show are coming soon featuring unique Chicago artists, professionals, business owners, and as always, queers. Please like or follow The V Show on Facebook. I just made this page a few weeks ago and it's a really great way for me to connect and stay up to date with all of you. And please feel free to reach out for any reason. Thank you always to co-producer Teresa Carper. The song featured in this episode was, of course, Before I Let Go by Maze featuring Frankie Beverly. This is Hannah Vitti saying, until next time, stay safe, and thank you so much for listening. You know there's nothing, nothing.